Hello and welcome to another joint podcast between the Lib Dem Pod and the Nevermind the Bar Charts po uh, podcast. Uh, my name is John Potter. I am the host of the Lib Dem Pod. And joining me is my co-host on the Lib Dem Pod, uh, Councillor Richard Kemp, who is the Hello. leader of the, the Liverpool Lib Dems. And of course, joining us is the host uh, of the Nevermind the Bar Charts podcast, as well as party president, as well as election guru, and as well as man who's just had probably the busiest week in, uh, in the UK other than Dominic Cummings. Uh, <laughs> so please welcome uh, Richard and Mark Pack. Hi, Hi John. Hi, Richard. Right. Well, you, like, like I alluded to, you have had a very busy week, Mark. So let's, let's go on with the, the probably the most controversial thing that a lot of members were exercised about and something we discussed mm. previously yeah. is about the leadership timetable. Uh, at the, I remember last time we were talking about the Lib Dems didn't want to get stuck in the middle and mm. being in the worst, of, uh, the worst of both worlds kind of thing. So what, what's happened, Mark? What was the federal, federal board meeting like and this decision now to do it yeah. in the autumn? Yeah. So we decided to have the leadership election in June, July, August. Nominations will open in June. We'll have the closer polls uh, right near the end of August, depending on the exact details of what else is going on in, in public life in terms of when we schedule the announcement. I expect it'll be right at the end of August. It might just possibly be, I guess, the first day in September, but it's basically June, July, August. I think the two things that probably have changed since the board last so discussed what to do was firstly we've all got really used to doing stuff online and I think it's easy to forget just how different a world it was even a month let alone two months ago and mm -hmm. um, I did a little sort of snap survey amongst Lib Dem members and in, who knows quite how sort of representative those those answers were of the membership overall but in that group of people use of things like Zoom had doubled since the beginning of the coronavirus crisis so there's been a massive shift in people's willingness to do stuff online and that's really important because I think if we do a leadership election any time short of a vaccine probably it's not we're not going to be able to do hustings quite in the usual way so that's and then the second factor is obviously listening to the views of members um, and uh, you know when, when I sort of did a tally a couple of weeks ago it was around 45% maybe just under half of members wanted a leadership election straight away but then a good chunk, if you pick other dates later in the, you know, through the year, you sort of get up to half and well beyond half as you go, go through the summer. So what we decided was that obviously if there is some, you know, major dramatic sequence of events, it might derail the timetable. But it looks pretty confident that we can say, yeah, we can run an election through June, July, August. We can do stuff online. We need to be mindful that not all members are online. On the other hand, if we're doing online hustings, for example, there's a whole load of people who are housebound or who live a long distance from a physical hustings venue, or even the costs. You know, if you're, say, in Scotland, trying to get from where you live in Scotland to the one Scottish hustings in, normally it's Edinburgh, actually non-trivial cost. Yes, there's a whole set of ways in which I hope we can make this more engaging. And I did half jokingly, half seriously say to colleagues, I think the test of our hustings plans is can we make people want to go to more than one? 
I mean, not very many of us would travel to more than one. I think the three of us on this call are probably the sorts who might. But, no. uh, although Richard, <laughs> but online... They keep having them not... in Manchester. I can't go to Manchester, Mark. <laughs> <laughs> but online, why shouldn't we aim to have them interesting enough that members watch and take part in several? And you know what? Put the candidates through their paces more, have members more engaged in it, we'll probably collectively make a better decision at the end of it. And just before you come in, Richard, could I just, just raise a point? Uh, sorry, Richard, just to cut across you. I mean, I remember, Mark, it just shows you how much I do actually listen to your podcast. Uh, that the, on the Nevermind Bar Charts podcast, during the last leadership debate, yeah. you, you and Stephen had a, a good discussion about actually how boring most hustings are mm. and how stale they are. Yeah. And do we need to refresh and kind of update the kind of rules on hustings within the party? Because f from my point of view, and going to what you've just said, going and listening to a couple of stump speeches and ready-made answers isn't really that interesting for most of you. No, having, a, having an actual debate where the candidates can actually uh, not interrogate each other because we're nice people and they, and they generally like each other, but actually have a bit of to and fro and get into the, the depths of some of the issues, I think would be a much more interesting uh, experience and would lead you to be able to someone having viewing several hustings because something different will come up every yeah. time. Yeah, in, absolutely. And for those of, who are listening who haven't been to a Lib Dem hustings before, the, the format is basically you get an opening speech, maybe five minutes from each candidate. You then get questions, but the questions have to be to every candidate. You can't question an individual candidate. Most of the time there is no follow up question allowed and questions are often taken in groups as well. So there's no putting on the spot with a follow up question. There's is quite easy to dodge a difficult question if you want to um, and that in the end doesn't really do even the candidates any service you know we and, and this is a point I think I touched on in you know podcasts sort of at the time of previous leadership elections is imagine if say Tim Farron had been really put on the spot about his religious views in the contest that he ended up winning now, I don't know what the outcome of that would have been. It might have been that Norman would have won, or it might have been that Tim would have ended up much better placed to answer those questions. But what we ended up with was the worst of all worlds, where we had a candidate who had a significant potential weakness that they weren't tested on. And, you know, you either need to work out how to answer it, or you need that to be a reason that ends up for people not to vote for you. And it could have gone either way. My guess is that had Tim been really put on the spot, he would have probably still won but he would have ended up with much better answers but that in a way is not the point the point is testing candidates better actually helps them so I think there's a lot we can do and one of the things in particular that will be I'm sure will cause a couple of bumps along the way is that because of the constraints of geography we've normally really focused hustings on you know this is the hustings for the northwest this is the hustings for London this is hustings for Wales with the internet where everyone can access every hustings equally there's more scope to do things in addition to thinking about geography, but around topics. So we could have a hustings that's about the environment and really dig in to what different candidates think about the environment, for example. So I'm quite, not just because I'm a political nerd, I'm quite looking forward to these hustings. I think we've got a chance to do something really sort of different, but better. I mean, I, in Liverpool, as you know, we put forward the idea ages ago that this should be a, uh, an IT-led procedure, mm. uh, largely because we don't think it would make much difference. 
Uh, I didn't go to the last set of hustings for anything, really. I can't yeah. remember when I went to the last internal hustings because they are eminently predictable. It's the same reason I don't watch Question Time. Mm. You know what the buggers are going to say. As soon as you know who it is and the likely topics, yeah. you could sit there and give all four answers except for the wild card mm. in Question Time who's nothing to do with politics. Uh, so I think that this is a much stronger way uh, to do this anyway. And I'd also, just picking up the point that you've made, uh, going through and letting you know, seven questions go through, I'd like to see two people, if it's the environment, who know a lot about the environment, probing mm. the candidates, uh, local government, probing the candidates, whatever, because they'll know where the weak points are in a way that, that, that our leaders, leadership contenders rather, won't be able to get out of. And that leads to me, I, I'll just leave it for now, but I'd like to come back mm. on what the use of Zoom and IT mm. means for the way the party does all its business, not just the hustings. I think this is terribly important in the way we change our ways. Yeah, and I got an email uh, this morning actually from a Lib Dem member whose local party is doing their first sort of a pizza and politics type event by Zoom uh, in a few days time. And I, I had slightly mixed feelings about that because I thought, well, A, great that they're doing that, but B, they're only doing it now. And I don't know what the exact circumstances are in that local party, of course, but you, it does sort of illustrate how for all that we are a party that talks about changing the world, we can be quite slow moving and small C conservative uh, mm -hmm. in our own in our own operations. Um, and that's obviously something which I'm sure we'll come on to a little bit with the election review report, because that really highlights how much we need to change. And that that sort of inertia that there quite often is in our internal habits is something we're going to really need to fight hard to battle. Just to kind of round off the kind of hustings debate. So are there step? what is the timetable if we want to change the rules on hustings or is that not going to happen this time? Just so, you know, listeners on both our podcasts can, can and we don't want to raise expectations. And so the, there's quite a lot of discretion in the rules. Um, and obviously quite a chunk of the key decisions need to be made semi-independently by the returning officer and, and his team because you know, as with public elections, it's important that those decisions are made in an impartial manner. Um, the plans are currently being worked on. Um, I would expect that, you know, the returning officer and, and colleagues will have them finalised um, in the next few weeks, because to be fair to candidates and the like, you need to have some advance notice about what, what, what will be coming up. Um, but certainly if people have any sort of good ideas or strong views, then, you know, please do. People can email me on president at libdems.org.uk and I'm very happy to, to listen to those views and pass them on. I, I did think just to, again, I'll, I'll finish off this uh, area. I think during the Tory party leadership um, hustings, I do remember some of the, the, the best received hustings were ones where the moderator or was actually a non party member actually mm. like a journalist or something like that yeah, yeah. we're actually and again we're talking about the election review uh, about getting outside of our little bubble you know i can remember the last northwest hustings you know i think there were two questions on the constitution mm. you know or the lib dem constitution you know that is not preparing you for what the wider public is going to be asking <laughs> you in tricky situations yeah. um but from that mm. obviously from leadership we also have to talk about obviously conference mm has now yep. um, gone virtual. 
I do need to remember to uh, cancel my hotel booking. This is really <laughs> important for Brighton. Um, but so again, this was a discussion we had yeah. where you were very worried that the, it could cost the party mm. if we made uh, too long a delay in yeah. coin off. So had we hit a critical point last week when we thought, right, a decision now has to yep. be made? Yeah, so we've decided to go for an online conference, as you say, John, and partly the sooner you make the decision, the, the, the less you have in the form of, of costs uh, from, from cancelling the plans for a traditional conference. But also the sooner we did it, the more time we've now given people to get an online conference right, because... I think one of the mistakes we would, you know, and this happens all the time when you try to do something online for the first time, one mistake that you could make is to simply try to replicate what you do offline online when actually online is very different. I mean, being sat in the hall for a couple of hours, maybe not paying attention all the time, occasionally looking at your phone, you know, but there's a sense of sort of being in a room with other people. You can zoom in and out, zone in and out of what's going on around you having a Zoom call going for a couple of hours is not at all the same thing. Mm. So I think we're going to need a slightly different rhythm through the day and maybe even what hours of the day we think of as the peak time for the big events will be different. Um, so one thing, you know, as with colleagues, I was very keen on is if we decide early, we give people more time, we give the staff and conference committee more time to plan. And of course, you know, constitutionally, it's the conference committee's job to run conference um and but the board does have the ability to cancel a conference so that's why you know the board had to take the decision to cancel the traditional conference um i also think you know frankly with everything else going on it's really important that we give members that opportunity to hold people like me to account you know to ask questions to hear the reports from the board and other and other committees because we've been we've been doing a lot this year mm. I, again i think there's so much that we can learn from what you've just said mm. uh, there mark uh, I'm doing a lot of Zoom meetings and I'm always knackered after half an hour. Yeah. You do always have to be concentrating more. Uh, and, and whether it's the, the best way to, con to talk to 100,000 plus members, uh, and it will break the bubble. And I think we've got to be prepared for that. I personally welcome that. But the bubble is still 2,000 people, some of whom I've been meeting in September since about 1975 <laughs> and you just think hang on if he had if we put more hair and a, a less straggly bit oh yes i know who that is because it's still a clique goes to conference yeah and it's i mean there are there are some nice aspects to that yes you know it's it's a family you know family, it's an extended yeah. family um yeah. but it's as you say it's a very small proportion of the party's membership and in particular for, for example, people who are teachers, the timing of conference is often being quite a poor one uh, mm -hmm. for being able to come come to conference. And you know we have issues every now and again with clashing with religious you know, religious festivals as well. And, and so when you add up all of those things, it's you know for those of us like you know like 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 all of ourselves who love going to conference and can do it twice a year, you know every year, that's brilliant but let's remember everyone else as well and try and find other ways of involving people. Yeah, indeed. So when will we know the, what the format will actually look like? Um, so conference office is working and the conference committee are working on that at the moment. Uh, I don't know exactly when they will have all the details ready, um, 
but in a way the good news is that you know they are looking carefully at things like what time of day what day of week is best to do stuff the example i often use is that we classically will put a big keynote speech on during the day on monday on the monday of autumn conference now if i was to say to say you richard oh look you know you can get vince cable to come and do a local party event when should we schedule it for i don't think you'd pick middle of the day on a weekday as the that's the best time to get members to you might go for it if you really had to because that was the only time available but we a lot of conference timing is still locked in the habits that came from when it used to be broadcast live on tv Mm. um ah those were the days when you could sit down through the autumn and watch a live on tv each of the parties conferences and the guardian would have a whole page and then produce a booklet (laughs) about the three party conferences yeah uh, we're getting nostalgic here, John. <laughs> yeah, move us on. The 21st century. We Broad need a boy to move us on. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, I mean, one thing that's come um, from the conference stuff, and along with leadership and every, all this talk of new working, mm. is whether or not, and I appreciate it's difficult for you, Mark, because you're London-based, we are too London-based as no, a party. absolutely. Uh, and someone said to me, obviously, I, me and Richard are both northern councillors and, and, mm. and northern uh, group leaders, but about what is the harm of moving some of the functions of the of the Liberal Democrats out of London? What mm. and you know and is because if we are going to embrace new technology mm. and new ways of getting in touch, do we need to have such expensive offices in London? Obviously, you need to have some. It's the centre yeah. of power. We get, I, I don't think anyone yes. said we're not going to Lib Dems aren't going to have no presence in London would be ridiculous. But actually, do we should we move more aspects around the country? Yeah, I, I mean, coronavirus has obviously forced us to close the HQ in London and therefore people are working from home. So we've got an enforced, I mean, a very unwanted, but also frankly, quite helpful experiment in what does everyone working remotely look like? How does it work? And as you rightly say, there are, there's a problem with being London-centric if everyone is based in London. It's also more expensive to live in London. So frankly, how far a party salary goes you know, is, is less if, if it's a London-based job. It's also quite expensive in terms of the property costs and so on. So there are definitely... Quite, you know, quite expensive. <laughs> <laughs> slight understatement, possibly. Um, so there definitely are some serious questions about where is it best to locate staff. I also think we need to think about that in the broader context of actually, is working from home going to be more the norm? Because one advantage of allowing people to work from home is it caters much better for people with caring responsibilities, potentially. Um, now, actually, they might quite like being able to get out of the home as well, depending on exactly what the you know the setup is. But one thing we've been very poor at, for example, is if you look in in many party roles at how many of what proportion of people are parents. It's a different form of diversity, but the thing that is so central to many voters' lives, their children, is also something that. It's really hard to you know, combine many party roles traditionally with, say, being a parent. And, and so I think there's lots of opportunity here to, sort of in, to be much more diverse in all sorts of ways. Geography is one, you know, uh, 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 and, and it's an important one, but, 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 but other respects too. I think the, the one little caveat, I guess, or the one that I would add to this, is that generally we don't as a party work well enough as a team. We're not cohesive enough. And so I think we need to think about 
not just from the point of view of who needs to be close to say the the, the lobby journalists in Whitehall, but also in uh, in terms of having that right spirit of team working that we don't fragment too much. But who knows? That might be we end up with people more often working from home in the future, but maybe one or two days a week they're coming into one central location, so we get a bit of the benefits of of both perhaps. Mm. Uh, but it's not just where the headquarters is, it's mm. how we operate more generally. Mm. So I uh, gratefully came off the Federal Policy Committee uh, at, at, in December. I've done two four-year stints on it. And it always struck me the unfairness of our co committee structure. So the Federal Policy Committee would start its meetings at six o'clock mm. so that people could leave work and get to it totally ignoring the fact that I'd had to get the two o'clock train mm. and I'd have to leave the meeting early to get the five past nine back to Liverpool. Mm. Um, and it was a big uh, body. Uh, I've served, I've chaired task groups. We always had to have them in London mm. because we've got to get the MPs there. Mm. Oh no, we don't, because we could talk just as we're doing today. Mm. So I think that gives us an opportunity to look at a very necessary mm. realignment of our party structures. Definitely. I mean, this partly leads us, of course, to the review. Why, how can you possibly have a board with about 40 people on? Why does everything have to take place in London? Mm. So one thing that we've been trying, is, as you know, and it's connected with policy, is we now have a rapid response group mm. for the spokespeople in the House, Lords and local mm. government with two people from the FPC. We talk to each other regularly, we challenge each other, we communicate. I find something out and put it in. Manira finds something out and asks questions about it. And all that can happen without me going to London. It can happen like that yeah, if I'm not no. stuck on the train to doing it. Absolutely, so, yeah. yeah. So how's that review of the structure going? Because I don't like, I, I mean, I've never asked a question about a constitution in my life, but if you're connected with governance, you have to understand that if you don't get the governance right, the system right, then you're not going to get anything right either. It's the skeleton on which everything else hangs. So yeah. How are you going to sort out the, uh, the structure? Yeah, I mean, as the election review rightly highlights, there's a lot we need to sort. And I think my main take on it at the moment, obviously subject to colleagues persuading me otherwise, is we've quite often in the past done big top-down governance reviews and they've not really delivered the goods. Um, and in fact, the net effect of all the different big governance reviews we've done over the years is that the board has got bigger. Yes. It, 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 somebody worked it out the other day. It grows on average, I think, by about 1.1% a year. So as they, as they messaged me, it means the board, you get a better rate of return on the size of the board than you do on your savings in a bank or building society. But, um, <laughs> and, and I think one of the reasons those big reviews don't work is we have within the party a couple of sort of West Lothian type questions about how federalism and the interaction between England and state parties. And so you end up with a huge amount of focus on that really diff genuinely difficult to resolve problem and end up not dealing with a whole host of other issues. So my much preferred approach is let's pick off the different issues that need sorting one by one. And one of them definitely is the size and the role of the board. Um, the thing that particularly struck me at our board meeting, the one we've just had, for example, is we had several really big important issues. So not surprisingly, most board members wanted to speak on them. 
but just do the maths 40 people each wanting to speak on an item for uh, three minutes, minutes. <laughs> that's two hours gone just for one item and three mm. minutes is not a lot of I mean and particularly where we're we're, we're say trying to uh, scrutinize maybe a big major recommendation from the chief exec and you really need to get into the details and you need a bit of back and forth and it just it just doesn't work you know and and, and I think there's an extent to which it's always very tempting in the party to say, you know, this group of people is not properly represented. Let's add an extra person to this group or that group to do it. Um, but actually, sometimes it's it's getting other aspects like the communications better. That's the real that's the real solution. And and the risk is if you end up with just lots of people making very brief contributions, you can sort of be a good opposition councillor. You can turn up, ask a difficult question and go. But if the job is actually to get stuck in and make sure things work, may, you know, having three minutes to sort of throw in one thought is not really, it's yeah. not really enough. Right. And I think because we're talking about now big changes mm. and reviews, we have to get on to the, mm. the general election review. And me and Richard, along with the rest of the Lib Dem pod team, had a, uh, had a big, almost hour-long uh, discussion mm. about it but one of the things we didn't talk about Richard in that was actually should we have called the election in the first place or helped mm. call the election in the first place yeah. uh, and it goes kind of to the heart of the indecision within the party that seemed to be dogging us and mm. I, I, I don't want to read the whole the whole two paragraphs that are, are talking about the decision but basically it says we had a choice mm. of either standing down for labour in lots of seats and the consequences of that thereof, or being ruthlessly political with ourselves, okay, not give the uh, the green light to the Tories to do anything. The Tories would then collapse, or maybe get Brexit through with the Labour with Labour's help, and we would benefit massively politically from that. Um, so, you, if you had, a, if you were completely in charge, Mark, mm. of that, what would you do? Mm. Well, I mean, it, 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 I think it was genuinely a difficult choice. Um, in part because it really did look like there were enough votes in Parliament for Brexit of some sort to be voted through. And so we gambled, you know, we rolled the dice to try. And you can easily imagine a world in which if we'd not gambled and Brexit had gone through, people then saying, well, this was awful. Why didn't you trigger an election when you And that particular argument is an interesting one for the historians. There will be a brilliant Lib Dem history group fringe meeting on it at some point, for example. The bit, though, that the report rightly highlights that is, though, relevant for the future is that was a really key strategic decision that was basically made by the parliamentary party on its own. Um, and it wasn't a decision that was made bringing in the perspectives and voices of a broader set of party interests. And, you know, I've no doubt those MPs made the decision in the best of faiths. You know, they, yeah. they genuinely thought that was the best, the right decision. But if you think about how do we have pro decision making processes in future, that are more likely to come up with the right answer, that it's not just people tried their best, but actually managed to do the right thing in the end. That's too insular a perspective, because when you're caught in that sort of Westminster pressure cooker atmosphere, 
you don't see the things the way other people see them. And so that's one of the challenges the review sets up is how do we change the way that we operate so that in future decisions like that are made in a different and therefore better way. And frankly, if we had had a better process, I'm not sure what the outcome would have been, whether we would have ended up with the same decision or not. But I do know that on average, <laughs> you get things right more often if you have a better process. Yeah, I think also it does depend on, on who is supporting the parliamentary party mm. for anything mm. in their decision making process. Perhaps this comes back again, almost to an IT uh, discussion, because mm. actually you want people to be advising the leader. I'd say, if I was the leader now, I'd be saying I want two or three mentors from outside this bubble. People I can trust from Scotland, Wales, Northern England, wherever, but who aren't part of the bubble, who've been around a long time, I can throw ideas out quickly, mm. who aren't subject mm. to that cauldron. And it is a ferocious place to be. So I'm never overcritical mm. about uh, MPs having to make quick decisions. Mm. It's who they ring up first mm. and say, hey, Charlie, what do you think about this mm. and i think we ought to be looking at ways in which we support mm. our 11 mps uh better but our general view uh, bear in mind there were five of us from oop north for the lib dem pod mm. was that we were all far more confident about the future of the party mm. firstly because we'd had a scrupulously fair mm. review and then we could see the federal board mm. beginning to action mm. some of the things in that review uh, and, uh, you know, if I'm summarising, which we're not quite at summarising time, I would say a bloody good start's been made in the last 10 days in dealing with the issues that I felt as we went through the election. Yeah. And, and I very much hope that both of you and others will, you know, keep us on the straight and narrow, <laughs> because I, I think definitely there are cases where, say, people are deserving of criticism as individuals. But I think when you're working out what we should do for the future, it's very risky to simply say, well, that person was crap. Ah, this person yeah. is better, therefore it's all gonna be fine. You've got to tackle the underlying causes, but it's very easy to get distracted from that. So one of the things I think is really helpful with, with Dorothy Thornhill is that Dorothy has been very clear, she's gonna keep on our backs. I, I'm, I'm, I've, I've already had quite the sequence of James is positioned for you, Mark. I must tell you. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, 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 well, I'm partly saying this to try to convince myself that I've got to remember <laughs> to welcome these early morning emails for months and years to come. But quite genuinely, you know, how can things go wrong? Partly is just getting distracted and getting sucked into the minutiae of other stuff and so on. So, mm. so that's going to be really important. And, and I think the thing that is challenging and in a way should make us angry is that many of the things that Dorothy and her colleagues have highlighted has been the case for quite a long time and that means they're probably quite hard to fix in some cases but also my goodness just the amount of volunteer time and effort that people have put in and the effort that staff have put in that we've ended up frittering away through some of these mistakes you know we really need to be better than that yeah and can i raise an issue that's just come to us via one of our listeners which is a really good one um the, he's actually comparing it with the obviously the very topical news story of dominic cummings mm. and his and his kind of marketing and messaging strategy that we have and the report does talk about a lack of creativity 
you know, pumping money into stuff without actually having a good creative base. I mean, as someone who works in marketing like myself, you know, it's, it's not easy. You know, if someone says, okay, what's going to be the next beautiful brand advert that you're going to create? It's a very difficult thing, but actually it's very worrying to say, and actually we don't have a, a good supply of creativity within our campaigning. And that's because we are never going to outspend or get the airtime of the other parties, but we could get more traction if we're creative with it. It's sometimes risky. You know, someone would say mm. bollocks to Brexit was an incredibly risky strategy that could do it, but actually it broke through mm. as a very simple, powerful message. So how do you get more creativity into HQ? So I think there's a couple of elements to that. One is that as with a lot of things where, you know, you, people might point the finger at HQ staff, we need to appreciate that they operate within the parameters that they're given. And so the focus very much on our digital channels, for example, for a long time has been recruit members, you know, get email signatures on petitions, get them into the funnel so they become donors, they become members, etc. And actually we've done that really well. Our membership for, you know, the first year of a parliament is higher than it has ever been. It's only come down very slightly from the sort of you know, the pre-election peak. And so our membership is, uh, you know, first year in Parliament at record level. So that bit has been genuinely done really well. But it means a whole load of other things haven't been done. So part of what we need to do is sort of do be able to do the digital equivalent of what, you know, Richard has been doing before since before John, you or I were born in terms of having <laughs> his own media in Liverpool. You know, yeah. the focus leaflet is, our, you know, our own media to get us coverage and to get our story out in a way that we otherwise can't. And that's what we've underplayed, I think, really with our digital channels. But getting there is going to take some time because there's a whole host of things we need to sort, including some of the party sort of underlying technology. So one of the priorities for this year is around sorting out the party's national website which is part of that but that's only step one of an awful lot that needs to change it's also obviously something that we can all contribute towards locally you know with our own local social media channels um, but you're right it's much easier to do if we have more creative content content being put in and so that's that's definitely something we need to get to but i think the honest answer is we've got a lot of other things we need mm. to fix as well so that one is gonna it's not going to transform overnight but i hope people will see steady progress well i'd recommend meerkats or italian opera singers if we were able <laughs> to uh, make it but i think someone's done that ironically as we speak the liverpool party campaign committee is meeting and they're looking at how we use it more mm. and the key element of that is we've got some money to provide some uh, targeted social media advertising mm. in our key wards. But I said, you're not to spend a penny unless people are trained to do it. Because mm. you can easily yeah. chuck money away. Uh, can they use little 30 second inter uh, interviews on their own phone mm. while they're dealing with a problem? Uh, how do they edit it a little bit? Yeah. I don't want to be too professional about it because the point of focus is it's not too professional. Mm. It's a community based thing. But it isn't just a question of headquarters. Mm. Every single mm. party now should be examining yeah. how we talk to our electors. We've also decided, uh, if they've taken any notice of anything I say, which they don't always, it must be said, to cut back a bit in the foreseeable future mm. on focus. Mm. Because we think, certainly till September, October mm. time, even if we can do it, how will that be mm. received? Well, what we do know is in my own church board, We've now got 1,200 email addresses. 
we work something out every month, uh, which I have nothing to do with except suggest some articles, and more than half the people read that. So that's 600 readers. Normally our focus distribution is 6,000. Mm. We get a much higher hit that's from really our nice. electric work really than we do our physical work. Yeah. Just before you come in, Mark, can I just kind of round this up with another question we, we received as well about where it's about the balance of campaigning mm. techniques mm. is ultimately mm. where uh, summing up what Richard said, you know, it's always, you know, leaflet first kind of approach, you know, the general election, there were reams in, of uh, leaflets going out in our target seats, but are we getting that balance right within our campaigning? Yeah, I think, Generally speaking, when people complain about the volume of stuff, the quantity of stuff, the issue is really the quality. Yeah. Um, so that yeah. even when we are delivering a piece of literature every day to voters, that's still not very much compared to the amount that they will be consuming of the news, whether it's they still read an old-fashioned newspaper or whether it's through reading several stories on the news website or in the news app of their their sort of title of choice, whether that's the BBC or the Mail or whatever. Um, so ver very often the complaint about volume is really the problem is what we were doing was too dull and not of interest to people. Um, and, and so that's an important sort of starting point to bear in mind. It's also, I think, the case that especially in urban areas, it can be quite hard to get to people via their letterbox. Um, and letterboxes are great because we can sort of work out where nearly every one of them is. There's always, you know, one letterbox you can never quite find. Um, you went to Brecon then, did you? That's more than one letterbox you can't quite find. Bloody Welsh, no letterboxes. <laughs> not bloody Welsh, it was dreadful. But, um, street names. Ah, <laughs> yeah. uh, townie. That's the problem, Richard. You're just a townie. Listen, I live very close to a lane. It's just called Penny Lane in my case. <laughs> um, but, you know, letterboxes are great because we can generally find them and legally we have permission to put stuff through them, you know. Um, but particularly in houses of multiple occupancy, blocks of flats behind intercoms with one shared letterbox on the door to the block of flats and so on, it's really important that we use other, other channels to get to people. And I think it's a bit like, I mean, we wouldn't discuss should we use vowels or consonants in a press release. Of course you use both. And so we need that mix of online and offline. Mm. And if we want to persuade people, actually the best way of persuading somebody probably is a face-to-face -face conversation doorstep. But the second best, probably quite an emotional video clip, you know, which you would deliver digitally. You know, if you think, well, what are the two best ways of really moving people's emotions and persuading them to think differently? It's either the very traditional or it's the very modern. So let's, you know, let's, Let's mix the two. And perhaps crucially, when we're trying to get new people involved, see what they're most interested in doing, what they're happiest doing, what they're best at. And if that's online, that's great. Get them doing that. If it's offline, that's great. Get them doing that rather than trying to force the volunteer into some sort of predefined template, which may or may not be actually what they're going to enjoy doing. Because in the end, we've got to enjoy it because if we don't enjoy it, we won't carry on doing it. Mm. Uh, and in fact, the most important thing about delivering to me, providing you the stuff you deliver is, is decent, is the fact that people see their councillors out when mm. it's piddling down, because mm. uh, that shows dedication. Uh, so it's the act is sometimes more important than what you deliver yeah. in certain circles, unless you're delivering some real howlers, which we have all seen from time yeah. to time. 
I'm just going to, I hope you don't mind, Mark, I'm just keep on getting these questions. Yeah. From listeners, uh, things. Um, one of them was about culture mm. within, within the party. And uh, again, we touched on it briefly in our last episode, but actually Lib Dems seem very comfortable in criticising one another rather than amplifying what are what we do what what we're doing well uh i know obviously i'm using this example is a bit tarnished now but what the corbyn labor party did was generate a lot of buzz online now what they didn't realize is that doesn't necessarily lead to votes but i remember um putting something on facebook and i know you commented on it mark that we have say seven thousand people mm. in our uh lib dem newbies facebook mm. group however the average lib dem tweet or facebook post mm. gets about a couple of dozen people retweeting it or whatever so is the fact that we are not good at selling ourselves yeah and there was a really striking example of this from the general election where there was one of the um shows that joe swinson that joe appeared on where there were very few lib dems in the audience um, and then actually one of the most critical questions she got was from one of those very few Lib Dems and there's a bit of you we sort of think oh my goodness we've got so few Lib Dems in the room and you now from the point of view of that individual I don't criticize them at all you know if you know, it was something they clearly felt strongly and was important to them and therefore they took the opportunity to ask that question but you're right you take a step back and you think you don't get you know if you think how over the years, how many Labour activists have really hated whoever the current Labour leader is, you don't get them popping up and asking questions in the same way. Mm. And, and there's some aspects of our culture in that respect that I think we should cherish, you know, our, our genuine belief in sort of, in, in sort of tolerance and being sceptical and questioning and so on. But we can be a little bit too sort of keen to hide oh, yeah, our light wow. under a bushel you know we, we, we don't yeah. just hide our light under a bushel we scour the neighborhood to gather up every bushel that we can possibly <laughs> find um yeah. and and i think you know part of that is about we have to inspire people and that's you know the leadership election is going to be really important in that respect give us a new permanent leader who hopefully can help deliver on that and um, it's also though i think that we need to give people other routes by which they can raise issues. Um, and you know, this is partly why, for example, you know, I pop up, you know, hopefully it feels reasonably regularly in the Lib Dem Newbies Facebook group, that if people feel they've got another way of raising negative issues or concerns, then that will hopefully help people then think, okay, I've done that. Now here's the other occasion when I can be upbeat and positive and you know, promote the party um, to the rest of the world. Um, and 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 it partly, I think, comes back to your point about the creativity as well, John, because one of the risks with creativity is that you have hits and misses. Mm. Now, if you try to be more creative, you will get it wrong in a way that is much more likely to attract yeah. criticism. And so if we have a culture internally of being too critical of each other, it tends to make people be risk averse. And yeah. risk averse means being bland. And, you know, the bollocks to Brexit was a good example of this. It worked really well. Some people, you know, I can appreciate didn't like, you know, felt that, were, you know, the, the tone of that was too coarse. But my goodness, it was striking when we first adopted it, how many Lib Dem members were willing, willing to be quite brutal in things like emails to members of party staff. And that was our most successful slogan ever. <laughs> you know, I think it's fair to say the result wasn't a wave of emails to people saying oh it's brilliant who should i praise for this it was 
you know, a, a wave of how dare you do this, this is appalling. And that I think is what Dorothy's review in part touches on is that we do need to be critical, we do need to be questioning, but we should be wary of doing it in a way that just results in people hunkering down, not listening, being demotivated, and being as bland as possible because they don't do anything different. There is a difference, of course, between providing a critique mm, and being exactly. critical. And I think we ought to find ways of providing that critique. And it comes back to the mm. sorts of mentoring. Mm. I mean, have you got a mentor? Has Ed Davey got mm. a mentor? Who do you turn to when 300 emails come in saying, you know, and someone you can just ring up and say, oh, bloody hell, I've had a hell of a day. What do you think? So we need to ground ourselves in yeah, reality. Absolutely. And, and I think this is actually one of the reasons why contested leadership elections are a good thing. Absolutely. Because you build to win it, you build a team and you have a group of people around you. And, you know, you don't want them to become a cliquey kitchen cabinet, but it means you have a group of people, you know, as on a much smaller scale I do from, you know, my president election campaign that you can turn to. Um, and, and as you say, it's really important because it's it's so easy, particularly, I think, if you've got a role like, say, party leader, it's really easy to look at criticism internally and think, yeah, but that's not what the public think. Mm. Because sometimes that's true. But mm. the risk is you end up closing your mind. And I think this is actually probably the mistake that Boris Johnson is making at the time at which we record this. Uh, you know, that he is, right. he is so used to vitriol being directed at him that what he has failed to spot is the criticism over Dominic Cummings are of a different sort mm -hmm. and that he's therefore missed the seriousness of the public reaction. Um, and, you know, we're all, we can all be prone in different ways to that as well, which is why I think you're absolutely spot on, Richard. Yeah. Uh, does that mean we don't have to read your blog on the subject now, Mark? Oh, no, certainly <laughs> not. Outrageous comment. There are, Outrageous. Other, there are many other important points. <laughs> um, I suppose one of the key things we, we want to take for, as a party is that you said we've some of these issues have gone on beyond a decade. Yeah. And we haven't learned or we haven't implemented. Your role as president with the new leader, with whatever new structures, is going to be absolutely key. And the report was pretty damning mm. in, in the crossovers not happening, in little silos uh, and, and bunker mentality happening within, within the leadership of our party. How and when do you think we are going to start seeing the improvements that this report calls for? Mm. Well, I hope some, you know, you've, you've begun to see you know, already this year, you know, in terms of things like how do we change some of that internal culture, better internal communications is crucial. So it's, it's now the norm that when the board makes big decisions, we have an email to members telling them what we've, what we've decided. Um, you know, small example, but hopefully a, a telling example as well. We've also got a huge opportunity that with a new chief exec, a new president, shortly a new leader, a new chair of the campaigns committee, for example, that there's nobody in post who has got a that very strong human instinct to sort of defend what they did previously you know we're a new group of people and so we can look at this report and view it not as a verdict on part on what we did but as a route map for what what needs to come next um and you know dorothy took a bit of persuading to i hope i'm sure she won't mind me saying to agree to chair the, the the inquiry initially 
and that was very much around you know you know are we going to be serious about implementing it she didn't want to put lots of work in and lead other people into putting lots of work into something that didn't get implemented so mm. you know we obviously managed to give her the right answers <laughs> then and i'm really determined that we we stick with that because you know it it i mean it matters i mean just i mean if only there were more lived mps in parliament at the moment i mean there'd still be all sorts of things that would be going wrong and we frustrated but I mean, just daily, we're reminded of why we need to get our act together and do better. And I think the anger, uh, I mean, this is for all listeners, this is actually the day after the Boris Johnson press release, the Sunday press release uh, on Dominic Cummings and the palpable anger there is out there that something has got to change. That, you know, as uh, you've just alluded to, the, the Tories thought this was just a Westminster bubble sort of issue. It's really not. You know, yeah. no, and I, I think what's different is that um, n political scandals normally are about politicians off doing political things. Mm -hmm. And so they are a little bit removed from daily life. This is about a set of rules that were meant to apply to all of us. Now, this isn't about politicians off doing political stuff. This is about politicians saying there's one rule for all of you and another rule for us and that is when people have had to make you know our daily making sacrifices in terms of not seeing their grandkids not being able to attend a relative's funeral you know just people are making those sacrifices and then someone else for whom those rules are meant to apply just responds in this breezy oh it's all fake news no, and, and the disregard chest. the government's response to that has been is also the thing that's really yeah. upsetting people. Yeah. Almost like we, for however many weeks lockdown's been in, nine weeks or whatever, that people have, have struggled, have sacrificed. Yeah. You know, my dad was very ill with COVID. Mm. I wasn't sure I was going to get a chance to say goodbye yeah. to him. And then to, to wash away all that sacrifice by the British public by saying, I think he used his instincts right. Yeah. I mean, the whole point is we're not meant to follow our instincts. Yeah. If, if yeah. all we had to do was follow our instincts, we wouldn't have to have the police having far more power in peacetime than they've ever had before. If following our instincts was all we needed to do, we wouldn't have to have this mass public education campaign. You know, following instincts was all we needed to do. I mean, the whole point is we don't need to, we mustn't follow our instincts. Yeah. So we this mustn't raises... follow our instincts to wish to hug our family. We mustn't follow our instincts to want to meet up with our friends and family. So, so this raises a point that I made in my blog, which we put out at about the same <laughs> time about Dominic Cummings, and I agree with everything you said about him yeah. as an individual, is that party politics has been in a way suspended mm. for three yeah. months now. We've worked mm. together in Liverpool, I'm still committed to this, the Lib Dems are working with the Labour Party because of the overall mm. financial problems and difficulties that we've got. But I'm suggesting, I'd be interested to get your take on this, because the Tories are now behaving so badly on the recall of Parliament, Cummings, where they're dealing with Brexit, do we go back to normal party politics at a national level, not just scrutinising, but hitting the Tories as hard as they're yeah. trying to hit us? Yeah. I mean, I think the tone is definitely going to change. And in a way, you've, we've seen that already over the weekend. One thing I think we should remember though we should bear in mind is that people the people are still very fearful of what's going to happen 
actually not so much to their health, but often the health of others. If you look at what has motivated people to be so good, much better than Dominic Cummings at following the coronavirus sort of lockdown rules, it's often been a sense of, well, I might be okay, but I've got to do this for everyone else. And, and, and underlying that is a, is a fear about who might die if things, you know, who, who else might die, who might be the next death. And so we do need to try to assuage those fears and help people through that. And so I think we do need to be a little bit careful that in our particularly very critical tone over Dominic Cummings, we don't lapse into stoking up people's fears. Yes. You know, there's, there's, my goodness, there's going to be an awful lot of uh, scope for traditional political debate in due course. But we do just need to remember that, that for yeah. all that, we should rightly be passionately outraged about what Dominic Cummings did. The point is, actually, if we ignore him and we do what we should be doing, we can save lives. There is hope there that we can hang on to. And not, you know, when actually, normally a big part of political campaigning is often to talk up how things might go wrong. And I think that, that is not yet going to be the right thing but, to but do. But if we take something positive out of this, haven't what you've just said moved the political debate onto Lib Dem territory? Mm. That sense of family, neighbourhood, mm. community, cooperation, working with each other, to my mind, is something that we positively build on. Mm. To say all these lovely things that are happening now with yeah. people waving to each other and talking to each other, let's keep all those things in place. And no other party is going to do that in the way that we come because of mm. our belief in community and the politics of and in the community. Yeah. And it's almost the difference between taking pride in helping others and thinking it's terribly clever to try to find a loophole. Yes. Mm. And actually, you, this is an attitude towards tax as well. Yeah. That, you know, it's yeah. very, you know, there are ways of reducing the amount of tax that you pay that are legal but highly convoluted. <laughs> Mm. And in a way, that is a test of your personality and your political outlook. Do you think, here's a really clever loophole I found that I can jump through? Or do you take pride in making your fair contribution? Now, are you, are you clever than minimising tax or do you take pride in helping fund the NHS? There is a real difference of, of outlook on life there, um, where, I, as you say, Richard, I think, you know, we're all that much happier being on being on our side of that division. Yeah, and I th and I think on that we've been talking for just about an hour. Uh, I would say this is a again a fantastic joint effort. I'm sure more issues will come up uh, as we uh, go through the leadership and as we start implementing things. So hopefully we can do more of these. Uh, joint podcast between the Lib Dem podcast and the Nevermind the Bar Charts podcast because I think it's brilliant Mark to have you on to get this message out as much as possible about what is happening in London because again we've talked about it. for some people in tiny remote little local parties that don't seem to Preston. be not at all pressed you behave yourself you um but it's, we do feel sometimes a little bit removed from the mechanisms yeah. of that run our party. And if we can do anything to help that, then we should. Um, all uh, listeners and viewers uh, should absolutely follow our uh, two social media platforms. They are Bar Charts Podcast and at Lib Dem Pod. Uh, you can find them on all good Twitter feeds. Um, but also, you know, if you've got any further questions, I think last time we did one, we had a lot of people commenting in our Twitter feeds asking, okay, what else do we want to talk about? So 
by all means, feel free to ask questions. We want that information but because we, like I said, we only grow as a party if we take on these different attitudes yeah. and, and learn from each other as well. Absolutely. So thank you very much to Richard and Mark uh, for being on this podcast. Uh, thank you very much to everyone who's listening. Do uh, like, rate, subscribe, and all the other things that we ask you to do because it, it's always good to get more people watching and listening to us. Uh, stay safe. Uh, enjoy the rest of the week. And we will see you in a new episode very soon. Indeed. Thanks very much. Lovely. Thank you, John. Thank you, Richard. Thank you.